Welcome back to Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast. Today's episode is about the gruesome and horrific Ed Kempner. That's not his name. You mispronounced it. (laughs) Ed Kemper. 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 The gruesome and horrific Ed Kemper. And I am joined today by my good friend Megan. Hello. So the case is uh, very, very graphic. So I do want to put on a really, really, really strong listener discretion. Because if you have any young children around, please get headphones. (laughs) Not listen to this on your speaker. Yeah. So it's very much only suitable for mature audiences. As Ed is probably one of the grossest murderers I've ever read about. So yeah, probably one of them for sure. He's definitely worse than Robert Picton, which we've already done, in my yeah. opinion. Yeah, he is pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah. So with that, although you may not want one for this podcast, uh, let's go grab a chicken club, a BLT, or even a turkey and Havarti sandwich, and let's mow down on some true crime. Uh, Ed Kemper was born on December 18th, 1948. Makes him a Sagittarius. (laughs) (laughs) Typical. (laughs) Actually, I'm pretty sure it's a Sagittarius, yeah. Uh, He was born in Burbank, California, to parents Edmund Kemper and Clarnell Kemper, whose maiden... What kind of name is Clarnell? I've never heard of it before. I've never heard that name either. No. I I was reading the Wikipedia last night. And I honestly thought that Clarnell was the dad. I know. I was getting so confused. It kind of sounds like it could be definitely like like an intersex name. It could be a woman or a woman's. Yeah, I should almost look it up. It's really weird. He was actually the fourth, or Ed Kempner the third, this Ed was. Yeah. Now, you're probably going to accidentally hear me say Kempner. I don't know why I will add an N for no apparent reason. So it's just what my mind does. (laughs) So Edmund, so Ed's father, was a World War II vet who had experienced like pretty violent events during his like time in the war. He was actually a nuclear weapons tester. He would test atomic bombs. How how do you test atomic bombs? (laughs) (laughs) Um, He like didn't really love Clarnell at all. They had a very loveless marriage. He was even quoted on saying that suicide missions in wartime oh, yeah, I read that. and atomic bomb <laughs> testing were nothing in compared to living with her. Yeah. So like, I think it's pretty obvious he didn't really enjoy his time with her. Yeah, not a, <laughs> not a great atmosphere. No. Ed came in weighing at a whopping 13 pounds at birth, which is hauntingly terrifying. It reminds me, like, you gotta be, 13 pounds is huge. Huge. You've never seen that bait, that picture i'm probably gonna swear a lot it's fine you can swear you've seen that picture of that baby that's been like floating around for a while and it's like a woman holding the baby it looks like the baby's head is broken or like the neck oh my god it's huge it's a huge baby that's what i think ed kemner must have looked like i don't like look up pictures of babies no i (laughs) don't I wasn't looking up pictures of babies. My sister sent me the picture because she was like, what the fuck is wrong with this baby? And I was like, I don't know. I think that baby might be dead. And like, we had a whole conversation about it. I'll find it. I'll show it to you. Yeah. Um, I hope she has C-section because honestly, like, that's really scary. Like, it is. Um, but he wasn't an only child. He did have one older and one younger sister. So he was a middle child. And he was actually, like, really close to his father when he was young. 
by the age of four, he was already like a whole head and shoulders above all of his peers at that age. He was like very tall. Not surprised considering the 13 pounds at birth. How big were his parents? Like they seemed like they were pretty average. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. He's just a big boy. Ed's parents unfortunately divorced in 1957, so he would have been around nine. And his mother took all three children and moved them to Helena, Montana. So this is from California. Ed's father knew uh, that his wife could totally be a monster, like we said before. Like, he just was like, yeah, you know what? I'm totally good. Thanks so much. (laughs) (laughs) Better them than me, I guess. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. So Clarnell was very abusive. She was an alcoholic. She was a completely neurotic mother. And would often, like, lock him in the basement to sleep and uh, the whole rest of the family would sleep upstairs because she actually feared that he was going to, like, rape his sisters. But you know why that she did that is because at that point, like, he was, I mean, like, based on my little research, (laughs) he he had already done some pretty disturbing things in his childhood. For sure. We're definitely getting to it. Yeah. So, like... I, I can don't blame her. Like, I, can I can understand. I can understand the fear. For well, sure. Now knowing his whole story, I definitely understand her pre-ignition to do that for sure. Yeah. She apparently also didn't like Ed because he looked a lot like his dad. And so she was just kind of like, I hate your father. You remind me of him. That's just so. terrible. And she never coddled him. She actually denied him affection because she was scared he would become gay. Yeah. I thought that's super weird. That's such a back. Like but I don't understand way. how giving him affection would even make him gay. <laughs> That's the part I don't get. You're a woman. Well, it's well, it's because it's like you're. It's from your parent. It just fuck. I think like the whole generational gap about like male affection or like coddling boys and stuff. They were just terrified of any type of intimacy or emotional yeah. vulnerability, and I think any sign of that, including just like cuddling your parent. Yeah. Was like, they're going to be gay. And I just, I find that so ass backwards. I do. I find it so backwards too. Like, I don't understand. Ed was really bright though. Like he later in adulthood actually took an IQ test and ended up being 145, which is quite high, like very smart. But unfortunately through his childhood, he displayed like, like you said, sociopathic traits. He did some pretty messed up things. He would start fires. He'd play with his sister's dolls and reenact murders and sexual rituals. He even enjoyed pulling their heads off. He also killed his cat when he was like 10. Yeah, he actually killed two cats. One of them was stabbed to death and then the other one was buried alive, which he actually dug up again, decapitated, and then put its head on a pole like a trophy. Yeah, like at 10 years old. Like that's a lot. That's a lot. And I wouldn't even say that that's sociopathic as much as that's just psychopathic that's just (laughs) it's psychotic it's one of them yeah like it's it's terrible but clarnell found one of the pieces of the cat that was stabbed in his closet and she didn't do anything that's where it really messes me up is out because when i was researching this stuff for this podcast i was like how could this how much how could so many things have happened with him as a young child and that his parents or nobody got anyone else involved. Yeah, like it, like there was like literally no information about him going to like school. There's not really anything about him even going to school. Like did school counselors, like I only read one thing and he said that going to school counselors was, he said repetitive. Like he said that they just kept saying the same things and he found them to be boring and useless. Yeah, I, I just, I can't conceptualize having so 
I mean, it's not surprising knowing like Clarnell and Edmonds of their own vague personal history, but like just to have so little care for your child to just be like, oh yeah, he just like frequently kills cats, but it's whatever. <laughs> like just not dealing with it. Like, yeah, like I, she found pieces of a cat in his closet and she was just like, oh, I'm going to get, get back in that basement. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to lock you back down there in another couple of months. Like it's, it's astounding to me that, that, that was just how you, how she would think to deal with it. And I know that like, Mental health back in the fucking 40s and 50s was barely existent on, like, a public health system. But, but even, like... Come but on, even you... that, I feel like there was enough people... Well, especially if you have other kids in the house. Like, when yeah. you at least want to, like, you know... Because I feel like the popular type thing in, in those times was to, like, you know... Oh, she got... She's going away to camp for a year because she got pregnant. Like, <laughs> they're going to camp. And, like, I feel like there must have been some type of recourse for her to take to do that but it's like she personally decided to just torture him through his childhood instead as like some sadistic way to get back at her husband which like or like she projected you know yeah. the hatred of her husband so yeah. strongly onto him yeah it's really interesting mm-hmm. ed also though had a fantasy with electrocution and he would routinely play a game of gas chamber and electric chair with his sisters so he'd like like literally sit them in a chair and then pretend to get zapped and then like would shake on the floor and like the whole nine yards. I don't think that's as alarming as the next fact, which is that he had two had two like near death experiences at the hands of his sisters. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if those experiences like his his sisters did those things on purpose just for shits and giggles. But but like what events came first though? Oh, who knows? Because I don't, like, one of the events is his sister tried to push him in front of a moving train. And then I think, I don't know if it's the same sister or the other one, but also push him into the deep end of a pool. He, like, almost drowned. Like, I feel like that... Couldn't you just stand up? <laughs> like, like, he's so tall. No, okay, yeah, when he was 10. <laughs> I don't know. It'd be hard to say, but, like, I feel like he just must have been born into such a shitty environment, surrounded by unhealthy people who were also expressing their, like, unhealthy desires of, like, anger and violence, and he just took off with it, and whereas they didn't, for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. And his sisters aren't really mentioned again after Which his childhood. I find super odd, because if you tried to kill your <laughs> sibling, even in jest, I mean, I once joked to my sister that I wanted to punch her, and my mom came to me and was like, I'm going to call the police. Never threaten your sister again. <laughs> like, to, to the, the the stark contrast of that, to just be like, oh, yeah, he just randomly decided, she randomly decided to push him in front of this. Like, again, just like astounding, just not caring about your child. Yeah, no. Any of your children. No, none <laughs> of them. None of them. So at some point when he was around 13, Ed would eventually like run away to find his father back in California. His father had remarried and he had a stepson and he stayed there for like a super short period. But his father ended up claiming that it was like just really uncomfortable for his wife mm. and that she was getting like migraines from the stress and just like it just wasn't pretty much working with his new life. So he sent him to go live with his parents. His grandparents, so like the dad's parents. The dad's parents, who lived in North Fork, California, and their names were Edmund Sr., so he's Edmund number uno, 
and then Maud. And they had a ranch out there. And so Ed at this time was like six foot four. She's at 14? Yeah. That's tall. It's tall as balls. He was obviously like bullied intensely at school. And he just super did not get along with his grandmother. He felt that she was like just ridiculously senile and just projected like all the hate that he had for his mother into his grandmother. He got like pretty along with his grandfather. His grandfather even like gifted him a gun for Christmas to go hunting with him. They had like a little bit of a better relationship. But that didn't last very long because on the afternoon of August 27th, 1964, Ed was 15. He actually shot and killed his grandmother with the rifle that was given to him for Christmas. She apparently had asked him to stop killing the birds. And this like just really made him mad. And so he shot her once in the head and twice in the back. Just super justified, right? And then Ed just kind of like stood there and he thought he said later that he just wanted to know what it felt like. And then he realized that his grandfather had gone grocery shopping and that he didn't want to have his grandfather see his dead wife. So when his grandfather pulled up in the driveway, he shot him too. Which is honestly super interesting because he, it's like, it shows that Ed was, had at least some capacity for empathy. Yeah. Because there's no way you could kill someone in cold blood and then be like, oh no, now their partner's going to come and have to see them dead. That's going to be hard. He obviously like respected his grandfather a lot. Yeah. Like some type of, of, he probably was the first person that actually ever paid attention to him. Like even getting him the gun for Christmas to go hunting with him. Like that was probably a really big deal to him. Or the only one who showed a mild interest In what he was already interested in, which was killing things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's like, sweetie, he kills things, I kill things. Like, besties. (laughs) You kill a deer? I killed a cat. Yeah, so similar. (laughs) Twinsies. So after that, Ed called his mother. He was just like, yeah, so like, I killed them. Sup. And she was like, I think you need to call the police. So he did. And he called the police and was like, hi, this is my address. My grandparents, I shot them. And he just sat on the porch and waited for them with the rifle like sitting beside him. So after he was arrested, he was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia by the court psychiatrist. He was placed in a mental care facility and at to, at I will literally butcher this, at to Scudero State Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Hmm. A psychiatrist felt the murder of his grandparents was just a way for Kemper to, like, deal with the lack of parenting that he got from his mother and his father. This absolute, like, neglect and rejection. But further tests were done at the state hospital, and these psychiatrists did not believe that Ed was at all paranoid schizophrenic. No. And because, like, the test results indicated, like, he didn't hear voices, he didn't have delusions, he didn't have hallucinations, he didn't have any bizarre thinking, like, nothing. Yeah. Like, none of that. A lot of those traits and that emergence of that particular disorder comes a lot in your late 20s. Like, to to give that to a 15-year-old is you haven't even had a chance to develop it yet. Yeah, exactly. So he was just diagnosed with what they said to have been personality trait disturbance, which I'd personally never heard of before. But he actually got along like really well with his psychiatrist in this state hospital. And he even actually became his assistant. Mm-hmm. And he was allowed to perform like exams on other patients there. So he kind of learned like how to fool them. And he actually learned a lot about other people there. And so there's like a lot of sexual assault criminals there that would commit rapes. And they like taught him. They're like, yeah, like after you rape a girl, you just kill her. 
And then like, you know, they don't, you don't have a witness. That's like exactly what you do. And Ed was like, oh my God, that's such great information. Thanks. (laughs) He also was just like John Wayne Gacy that we talked about already on my podcast. He was also a member of the prison or state hospitals, JC's program. Mm-hmm. which I found very interesting. It's like the serial killer version of brownies. Nice. <laughs> like, or girl guides. Yeah, same thing. Leadership training and civic organization between the ages of 18 to 40. I know. We thought it was a very weird age difference, like 18 to 40. Oh, that's a big they also have a local one here. I looked it up after. On Ed's 21st birthday, so now this is December 18th, 1969, he was released against the wishes of several psychologists, and he was placed back in the care of his super loving mother. (laughs) And she was now living in Santa Cruz. And he actually further charmed his parole officers, and he got his juvenile record, like, completely erased. Yeah, I read that. Yeah. Permanently expunged within a few years. By the time he's 21, he's released now, and he's actually six foot nine. Yeah, that's tall. And he's 300 pounds, so he's like, uh, he's a big dude. Yeah. Like, large and definitely in charge. (laughs) (laughs) And he had, like, a little bit of minimum wage type jobs when he got released, but he eventually ended up working for the highway department, Mm -hmm. which, like, perfect fit, apparently, for what we're about to get into. He actually wanted to become a police officer, which was... Apparently doable now that his record was expunged. Oh, yeah. But he actually was way taller than the regulation height, which I tried to look up what it was back then. I came up with nothing. I assume it's way shorter than 6'9". It's probably like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, I, I think so. He actually applied to be a state trooper, and that was the reason. He They're like, you're too tall. It had like, nothing to do with the fact that he had committed murders. He's probably... Well, they wouldn't have known. They wouldn't have known that he committed murders at that point because they do completely expunge your records so the o- the only way that they would have known that is if it went up to like a federal yeah level of investigation but i feel like this is just speculation on my part but because he was so tall and so heavy um just as a natural byproduct of being so tall they probably were concerned that they couldn't control him in, in any situation as, like, a superior officer. Yeah. So, like, they probably scapegoated it off as his height, but it's probably just the absolute scale of him was just very intimidating. I can see that being, For like, sure. a legitimate reason. Yeah. But he did eventually move out of his mom's, thankfully, and he got his own apartment. He did have a roommate, and he was in Alameda, California, but his mother apparently contacted him all the time and was, like, really clingy and, like, would show up all the time, which I thought was just so weird because, like, she seems to, like, not want to be around him. Well, I don't find that weird at all, like, considering the... But, like, he killed his grandparents and you're like oh my god like spend so much time with me i mean if she <laughs> if she was gonna have a negative reaction she probably would have had that when he first did it i guess right? that's true and so she obviously probably well they weren't even her parents they were her husband's parents so she's like and Thank she you. hated yeah she hated her <laughs> husband so she's probably down with that some type of weird again revenge situation but i mean like his mom i think i read somewhere that there was evidence or like ideas about her possibly having bpd mm. um which when you like take into account her behavior around how much she fucking hated him but never wanted him to to leave her it makes a lot of sense because they really struggle with that like dichotomy so no that's I, interesting I think that would be yeah it makes sense it does make sense yeah 
Apparently he got engaged to a 16 year old high school student too, but I couldn't get any more information. Obviously didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I think they, I think I read somewhere that, 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 that girl's parents like specifically requested that her information stay like sealed. Oh, for sure. I don't blame them at all. Which is, yeah, fair. Fair. Yeah. (laughs) Or be talking about her right now. Yeah. Like it's just a common name. (laughs) So he got in a motorcycle accident too at some point. I can't imagine a six foot nine guy like even riding a motorcycle. But anyway, um, and he actually received a fifteen thousand dollar payout, which is like that's crazy high at the time, in my yeah. opinion. And he ended up buying the very popular um, murder mobile. We'll call it the yellow Ford Galaxy. <laughs> Um, so he would cruise around in this vehicle, like, all the time, and he started noticing that there was, like, tons of hitchhikers, you know, like, it's the early 70s, like, woo, and it's all, like, mostly young college women, and so he just was like, you know what, I'm gonna build, I'm gonna build a kill kit, and so it's, like, knives and blankets and bags and handcuffs and, like, just a whole murder kit. Super prepared. Super prepared. So he claims to have, like, picked up and dropped off, like, more than 150 women. And he's like, I didn't kill them, though. I didn't kill them. <laughs> I think he's practicing, like, practice runs. Yeah. For sure, just getting comfortable. Yeah. Like, his energy so that other people could get in the car with him. Because he's no, already sure. intimidating. Yeah. For sure. Um, his sexual urges definitely started to take over. And Ed actually referred to them as little zapples. I thought that was super weird. And I want to say almost endearing. If he wasn't, like, a murderer. But, like, a zapple? I would really be interested in knowing where that came from. Yeah. Like, where did he come up with that? Zaps? Like, I don't know. Zap strips? (laughs) (laughs) I did get a quote from him at one point. He said, when I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things. One part wants to be really nice and sweet, and the other part wonders what her head would look like on a stick. Yeah, apparently that quote is contributed a lot to the other Ed, Ed Gain. Oh. Did you know that? Yeah. A lot of people mix those two people up. So Weird. they say that quote came from him, but it didn't. No. It makes sense for me. You already put a cat head on a stick. So, like, what's the difference? Ugh. So, around this time, he actually ended up moving back in with his mom. And he would just frequent this local pub a lot that the local police would go to. And he befriended, like, a ton of them. They ended up really liking him. They actually kind of pitied him because he got turned away from being a state trooper because of his height. And they ended up referring to him as, like, Big Ed. Mm -hmm. And they were, like, buddies with him. And, like, he would – they would open up to him about crimes he committed later. Which is just honestly – so not bizarre for the time because apparently in the 70s you could literally do anything apparently. and never get caught. But like in hindsight, I feel like that's the first obvious thing in all criminal um, behavioral science. They're like, but the behavioral science didn't come out till later. Yeah, that's so. what I mean. Like they must have realized at some point. Like I don't know. Wouldn't it? I feel like it would. I feel like it would tip. I mean, cops are dumb. Cops are stupid. (laughs) Definitely, like, all cops are bastards over here. But, like, (laughs) I feel like at least one of them should have been tipped off that this, like, guy, super intimidating guy. But he's, like, a charming guy, right? Like, even on the interviews and stuff, like, people are still, like, interested in him. And, like, he's smart and blah, blah, blah. But, like, hello. It just really goes to show how, like, human psychology... And the ability to, like, manipulate people is so easy. Yeah, exactly. On May 7th, 1972, he actually committed his first two murders as a serial killer. 
He would kill Mary Ann Pesce and Anita Luchessa, who were both 18. They're actually hitchhiking on their way to Stanford University. He remembered what he had learned about leaving no witnesses. So Ed placed Mary in handcuffs and then locked Anita in the trunk. He then stabbed and strangled each girl one at a time and then placed both bodies in the trunk and then took them back to his and his mom's house. He had sex with both of their corpses, took pornographic photographs, and then dismembered and decapitated both bodies of the girls. So this is where we're going to obviously get into some gruesome content, if you hadn't already figured that out. What I find really interesting about those two murders is that he, in later interviews, like talked about how, at that point, like the murdering itself wasn't sexual. And that he had, like, grazed, his hand had grazed, like, the breast of one of the girls as he was killing the other, or, like, after he had just killed the other. And he apologized to her. He's like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to, didn't mean to do that. And I just find that super weird. Again, yeah. like, a testament to how strong human conditioning is to, like, apologize or those kind of things. Yeah. Edward also, like, performed sexual experiments on those victims, though. So... He was even known to have, like, sex and oral sex with the decapitated heads, which is just the grossest thing about him. It's actually called Irematio. Irematio. It's on the Wikipedia. Um, But, yeah, it's like a a, um, categorized thing, which is gross. Super gross. Uh, Some people actually believe he also consumed parts of the body, like cook and ate them. Oh, no. He like straight up admitted it. Yeah, but he he retracted it later. Oh, that's true. So then I'm like, look, we're not sure. I Um, feel like he must have. He had to have. He's a pretty curious guy. (laughs) At this point, I feel like he must have. Curious is definitely one way to explain (laughs) it. Many of his murders were committed after an argument with his mother, apparently. He did later claim. Mm Mm-hmm. Ed placed both of the girls' heads in a nearby ravine. Mary's head was found the following August, which prompted a more wide search, and then that's when they found Anita's head. So later that year, in, on September 14th, Ed would then kill Aiko Ko, and she was a Korean dance student who decided to hitchhike after her dance class because she missed her bus. During this, Ed locked himself out of his car, and he actually just like pointed a gun at her, and she ended up letting him back in. I find that, again, so weird to think about. Like, how did you convince her? Granted, he could have been like, I'll shoot you through the window. Yeah. So maybe she's like, well... I feel like... I would have just... I'd want to go out that way. I I don't think you're thinking that clearly in moments like that. For sure. I feel like we, we think we would, but... But also to be Ed, like, why would... Just shoot one of the back windows and let yourself in. I think maybe, uh, well, like, I don't know where this must have happened, but if it was on the side road or something, maybe it was a, an issue of, like, noise. He didn't want to have maybe, too many gunshots. Maybe he didn't have enough money to, like, repair his window. Maybe. Or maybe he's like, wow, that's like or a... that's like suspicious. Like, exactly. That's yeah. a red flag. For yeah. sure. He did end up strangling her and raped her, killed her, and then he took her body back to his apartment and just treated her exactly like he did the first two women. But unfortunately, her body was just never found. This is when he earned the nickname co-ed killer because he was really sticking with a young college girl type. Mm-hmm. And then a few months later, so this is now January of 7th of 1973, Cindy Shaw was murdered and dismembered after accepting a ride from him. He took her body as well back to her mother's house and just did awful, grotesque things to it. 
this is her murder is when multiple warnings were issued to the public about taking rides in cars without a university sticker on the window. Mm-hmm. And so Ed... Ed's mother's car actually had that sticker. Yeah, because she worked for that university. Yeah. Yeah. So he got his sticker. Which and is, then that was it. Yeah. Yeah. So a month after Cindy is when he, Rosalind Thorpe and Allison Liu fell victim to Ed. And these murders were slightly different as he actually dismembered them in the car prior to taking them to the home, which he had never done before. Which again, I feel like... Unless he did that on a side street or somewhere out in the forest, like... Like, I know. How do you... I mean, to be fair, you could cover up a body with a blanket, and you're not really looking at other people's cars. Yeah, but, like, why would you do that in your car? Well, you know, I don't know if you know this, but, like, dismembering bodies, like, they don't bleed. Like, I I didn't really know that. (laughs) I guess blood doesn't flow. But, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, your body's not, um, like... Like it's not you're not gushing blood or anything, so there's no real that there's no real mess in that sense. Like the blood that exists, but then it starts to coagulate, and then you, rigor mortis steps in and stuff like that. So, like in terms of a mess, it's very minimal. I guess, but, but I, like, but why would he decide to randomly do it at his car? There had to have been a reason for not doing it in the home, which makes me think it had to do with his mom being home. Probably, he actually buried some of the victims' heads. In his mother's garden. Mm-hmm. And this is like the creepiest thing about him in my opinion. He claimed he placed him there because his mother always wanted people to look up to her. Like. I'd believe it. Put some creepy music behind that. And that's just <laughs> like a tagline for like a horror movie. Uh, Ed, it's, it's an interesting insight on how a lot of his murders were so centered around his mom. Oh yeah. And, and in response to his mom anyways. Yeah. And like how... Just absolutely devastating and fucked up. He she must made have him. been t- to like live with her, and, yeah, and to be raised by her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He did later claim that he wanted to make the girls feel safe. So if sometimes they were like a little apprehensive about taking like a ride with him, he would be like, "Well, just get in. Like I don't have time." He wanted to make the impression like, "Oh, I'm too busy. I'm in a rush. Like I won't hurt you because I'm so busy." Mm. Which like. It's just, like, such manipulation, but, like, would totally work. Yeah. I I mean, I'm not much... I've never hitchhiked before. I've only hitchhiked with my parents, like, when I was a kid. I never would. My mom never would either. And... Or, I don't know if that's true, but she always told me not to do it. But my cousin hitchhikes a lot. And I feel like... I would never now. Yeah. He's nuts. But I feel like, from everyone I know that's hitchhiked... They just say you get a real sense of people, like, right away. And I just think that's bullshit. Because, like this guy, like Ted Bundy, like, all these fucking killers that, you know, use their car as a... As For whatever. sure. Like, they, they're master manipulators. Yeah, I would never know. I would never know either. I haven't, like, no. Especially after playing that game in school, Canada Drives, and you pick up a hitchhiker, they always kill you. And then you m- skip your load. And then you're... You don't know what I'm talking about? I never played that. Cross country Canada and you drove in a car and you had to like stop at cities and pick up like copper and then drop it off in another Canadian city. You no. never played that? No, was it like... Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I have a lot of American listeners, so I should probably explain it. So there was this game in school. You'd go to like computer class and it was just this ridiculous game and it was just, you're in a car and you'd have to like 
keep an eye on your fuel and you would say like go to a popular Canadian city like Toronto and you'd pick up like copper or like potatoes or like something random and you're like in a truck and then you would go and you'd have to drop it off at like Montreal or like Ottawa and so you drive and it was ridiculous but there'd be hitchhikers and if you chose to pick them up half the time they would kill you oh wow so I got like just super scared when I was young which is fair but honestly in most situations you're more not you but like the driver's more of a threat to the hitchhiker, yeah. but yeah. For sure. I totally. would I would never pick up a hitchhiker. A complete either. risk. Yeah, no, I wouldn't pick one up either. You just don't know. No, you don't. And you th- and people think we're good. Like, we always think that we're good, like, with our intuition, but... Sometimes you could be wrong. You can and be that's, wrong. And that's fine. And you only have to be wrong once. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. You only have to be wrong once. So, but unfortunately, Ed would... F- well, I should probably say Ed's mother would fall into his trap. Because on the night of April 19th, 1973, his mother was sitting in bed. Apparently they had an argument at some point before in the night, but she's in her bed. She's reading a book and he opens her bedroom door and she goes, I suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now. And he goes, no, good night. And Ed then just waited for her to fall asleep before returning and he slit her throat and then beat her up with a claw hammer. Yeah, that's brutal. Brutal. So he, this is like definitely the most brutal one of the bunch. Like obviously he's been like working up to this. So he spent hours mutilating her body. He severed her head. He used it for oral sex. He tossed darts at it. At one point he even placed her head on a bookshelf and then just screamed at it for over an hour. And then he actually cut her tongue out and her larynx and put it in the garbage disposal and like turned it on. He raped what was left of her hid her in the closet and then went out for a drink what (laughs) how do you drink after that i mean it's it it would be cathartic at that point right you're like sick i did it yeah (laughs) years and years at this point of him projecting murdering his mom onto every other woman that he's murdered and every other animal and now he's like oh yeah got to do it and he made like a show of it for himself it's just fucked up Oh, for sure. I saw a picture of her, like, his mom's head, like, sitting on the bookshelf. Really? Yeah, it's disturbing. Oh, my God. I want to see it. But, like, the the fact that what I find really weird is, like, that he had, like, oral sex with her head and her body. I think, like, I mean, I know, like, sex, especially for a lot of guys and probably for Ed as well. This is speculation, but it's like related to power. So it's not so much about the sex. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't think it's about It's just like a domination power thing. It just seems hard for me to like unlink them. I just think that's gross. gross. But after he had the drink, he went back to his mom's house and he invited over her really good friend, Sally Hallett. And he was like, yeah, like come over for dinner. Like come hang out. Like, girls' night, and he ended up strangling her and decapitating her as well when she got over, and he spent the entire night then defiling her headless body, and then in the morning, he stuffed her into a closet as well. And then after the murders, he, like, drove around for a little bit. He was, like, listening to the radio to see if, like, anyone had found them yet, which is, like, weird. They're in closets. He he didn't drive around. He fled. He was terrified, uh, like, of getting caught, I think. Really? Because yeah. what I was reading is he just, like, cruised around and was waiting for him to see if he was going to, like, they were going to find her. I mean, according to Wikipedia, and it's obviously, like, a an, an iffy source, but it says that he fled the scene and he drove nonstop to Pueblo 
Colorado, and he took caffeine pills to stay awake for the thousand mile journey because he believed he was going to be the target of an active manhunt. So I think he, I don't know why he would have the delusion that his mom and Sally's disappearance would alert trigger a manhunt. <laughs> but like, I think that makes sure. sense to me why he like booked it and then was like, wait, nobody cares. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, oh my god. So he actually, yeah, that's he did go to Pablo, Colorado, and he called his friends at the Santa Cruz Police Department and was mm-hmm. like, hey, that's me. And then they thought he was joking, and so he like kept having more conversations with them, and he was like revealing like very specific details. They're like, oh my god, he's like not lying. So he just sat there and waited for the police at the phone booth, and they're like, Colorado, please go pick him up, please. Let's keep him there. Thanks. It's so sad because he sounds, in his moments of, like, clarity, he sounds pretty level-headed. He's, and, a, he's like, a really smart guy. Yeah, he's very bright. And he has the capacity for empathy. So it's like, in those moments, just, like, reading his, about his life and stuff, and even the way that he presents himself in, like, interviews and stuff, he definitely didn't have to go down this road. No. Like, he, he didn't at all. He was just, it's just a, like, just shit situation. For sure. And it's just so sad because, like, what could he have been? I mean, I'm not trying to, like, empathize here with him. No, it's but, just like, so interesting. If you took, like, like the, the core root of who he is, like, his, like, his intelligence, mm-hmm. and you took out all his shitty, and you placed him in a normal home. Like, yeah. what would have happened to him? Yeah, because, like, he had the clarity to stop. He had the But same with, to... like, Ted Bundy, right? Like, what would have he been like? Like, he was obviously a charismatic mm-hmm. guy, right? Like, people did like being around him, whether he, that was a fake person or not. But, like, mm-hmm. Ed Kemper, like, people even said in interviews, like, he's very interesting to talk to. Like, guards really like him. Like, he's... You know what I mean? Like, he seems to have some qualities in there that you, if we pulled them out and took out his shitty upbringing, like, would he have, like, cured cancer? I don't know. (laughs) I think, you know, it's hard to say with an IQ of 145. Like, he was obviously extremely smart. But I think it also sheds more light onto how, like, in opposition he was to his mom because she was overbearing and she was all this and this. And I know from my own experience of dealing with, like, a dysfunctional mother is that you learn to act in opposite ways. And so you make up where they lack. Right. And so his mom couldn't regulate her emotions. She probably didn't have many friends. She struggled in her marriage. And so he grew up and like, he took that anger out on her, but he also exemplified a lot of really top qualities that made him likable and personable and smart. And like, it's so interesting that that, People are capable of that. Because, like, despite his height and his large size, still, like, all those women, 150 plus the girls that he murdered, still got in his vehicle. Mm-hmm. So he was charming enough and presented himself as much as not a threat, despite his size, that people felt comfortable getting in the car. Despite it being in the 70s or not, that's yeah. still, like, pretty impressive. Oh, for sure. And, and, you, the, and the cops didn't know anything. And you have to be, like, a practiced person at learning how to disarm people like that by to dull whatever it is about you that comes off as intimidating and really capture it down because like my boyfriend is six foot over six foot tall 
and he's bald and like sometimes he could seem like to just random people i can see him being like really intimidating just upon first glance mm-hmm. but once you get to know him he's a complete marshmallow but it's so interesting that like ed definitely knew that his appearance was working against him so he like actively decided yeah. to meld his personality to be so um charismatic and personable and it just again worked to his favor for sure. I 100% agree. But he did, like, his him and his attorney ended up trying to plead for insanity, but, like, it didn't work. No. Uh, they did gave him a more court-appointed psychiatrist, and they found that he was just totally sane. This is when he confessed to the cannibalism, which he that's what he later retracted. He requested that if he wasn't going to be like pled insane that he wanted to be sentenced to death which this is interesting because i read actually half the report saying that he requested to be put in the electric chair and then half the report said that he actually wanted to be killed by torture Mm -hmm. so i'm not sure which one it was uh but he fantasized about the electric chair when he was a kid so that's why i was like "Mm." he also apparently tried to commit suicide he did yeah he did um the state of California, to this day, they still have temporarily suspended capital punishment that's not on or off to this day, not just in the 70s. <laughs> uh, we, I think we talked about that in a few podcasts ago. So he, it was denied. He was sentenced to seven years to life for each count of first degree murder, which there's eight, to be served concurrently. So back, obviously back, back to back. back. And... Instead of prison, Ed was actually sent to the California medical facility. He's still there to this day. He is still alive. He's in the general pop. He's a total model prisoner. And he actually became eligible for parole in 1979. And he was denied. And he was denied every year after that till 1982. And this is when he actually just waived his right to have a parole hearing because he was like, no one's, he actually was like, no one's ever going to grant me parole. Like what I did was awful. Yeah. And so he just was like, whatever. So his next, his, he's eligible again in 2024. He is 72 today and he'll be 73 on December 18th. And what's really interesting is I took seven times eight. It's obviously like 52 or whatever. If it's 54, I'll be really embarrassed. I'm horrible at times tables, whatever, early fifties. And um, that means that his whole sentence would be done in 2027. I think I calculated. Oh, wow. So like that's seven years. So you got seven years to life, right? Right, So it could be 25 years times eight. But I just found that really interesting is that like, if they took the seven times, Mm -hmm. then it would be pretty soon. And he'd potentially still be alive. I know that he, I, I read that he recently had like a medical yeah. issue. in During COVID. Yeah. In jail uh, or in prison, I guess. And so he's not doing so well now. Yeah. But did you know that there's like a, like a, a like a website where you can write to convicts? Yeah. I wonder if you could write to Ed Kemper. I mean, like people obviously wrote. You could just, you can just find the prison's address and be like Ed Kemper. You can just do that. You don't have to do a website. You can just find the prison address and mail it to them. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but while he is in prison, he and I think we've I think you've seen this show too. He was oh, one of yeah. so he was one of the thirty five convicted serial killers that ended up being interviewed by the recently founded Behavioral Science Unit of the FBI when it was started in the seventies and eighties. So he was actually interviewed three times by Robert Ressler, who's like a 
pretty popular FBI agent and an author. He actually worked on the Jeffrey Dahmer case. So he has like a few books about like famous serial killers and stuff like that. But during the third time that Robert like interviewed Ed, the guards didn't respond when he pressed the panic button and he found himself like just locked in this like really small room with him. And Kemper was like, obviously like messing with him and was starting to make death threats saying that he could rip his head off before the guards even got there. And the guards didn't show up for 30 minutes. (laughs) And Ed was like, sorry, kidding. That's, uh, hilarious and terrifying and terrifying because he's like six nine yeah it must have been really scary but also like he's incredibly smart he's not going to commit another murder in jail for no reason but he might like he's gonna already be there his whole life so he was quoted saying that like the purpose of the killing had served its purpose that's fair like he he didn't need to kill anymore to deal with this shit but he again this is like he was so aware of his percent, like how people perceived him, that he's just started fucking with people just for fun. And it reminds me of like, not like a cat, but you know, like with some animals, you know, like with some animals, the more nervous you are, the more like hostile they get. It makes me think like the only way that you would have been able to really like keep it cool with him is you must have just had to absolutely believe he wouldn't have done anything because then he, he would have believed it. Yeah, that's fair. He did He did that twice, though. So he did do it with another person named Donald Lund, who's a psychiatrist from Stanford. So he hit the panic button and Ed said, wow, has it ever dawned on you that I'm a foot taller and weigh damn near twice as much as you do? And then the guards arrived seven minutes later. That Donald guy probably like shit his pants. Um, so John Douglas was one of the first FBI profilers and he interviewed him. Later admitting to completely liking Ed and thought he was, like, really friendly and open and sensitive when they spoke. Mm-hmm. And Ed's actually record thousands of audiobooks while he's been incarcerated. He has, has a really nice voice. He does have a nice voice. So he, he actually ran the prison program in the prison for the blind. Mm-hmm. So he's recorded, like, a ton of books. And so apparently the books include The Rosary Murders, Merlin's Mirror, The Glass Key, and Flowers in the Attic is mm-hmm. the pop- most popular ones. And he, yeah, directs a team. So there's, like, a several of them, which I find just, like, so interesting. I kind of, like, want one because, like, I just want to know. And, yeah, so he, like, I mentioned very briefly before – the whole behavioral science unit FBI thing was in a TV show that's on Netflix called Mind Hunter. It has two seasons. Super good. It has two seasons. It got canceled. It's now coming out with a third. Oh my god. Um so that whole And the guy who plays him, let me just shout him out is as an actor. Amazing. Fucking phenomenal. I was literally just about to say, like so you good. cannot tell them apart. Yeah. He even does his talking down to, like, a T. Like, I briefly watched, like, an interview with Ed. And I was, like, dumbfounded the whole time. Because I was like, this is exactly like the actor. Like, he did an impeccable job. Every single serial killer that is in that show is amazing. Yeah. Um, Son of Sam is, like, a recent topic right now. Because the Netflix documentary came out. Son of Sam is portrayed in that show as well. Amazing casting. That guy looks exactly like Berkowitz. It's insanity to me um the same person that played manson in um the quentin tarantino movie with brad pitt and leonard caparo played manson as well in manhunter i think that's cool to which like i think that's cool too and be like, yeah oh, so it's nice. all about like them creating the behavioral science unit so they go in and uh interview all these serial killers 
And there was a scene where one of them gets like stuck in the room with him and it's like really awkward, uncomfortable. So I think that's supposed to be like one of these things yeah. that happened. But yeah, if anyone's into true crime shows and they need something to binge, like highly recommend Mindhunter. I absolutely so loved it. I'm definitely re-binging it before season three. When's season three supposed to come out? I think it like they just got the go ahead. So it's probably not going to be for a while, which yeah, is like, it's, so it's been so long. Yeah, I need to rewatch it. Amazing. So there are many interviews of him online. And if anyone's like really interested in there, they're very easy to find. He's very, I know I've said interesting a million times, but he is very interesting to watch. Mm-hmm. He's a, like just very captivating and he's just really smart. So he like, he has answers for all of his behaviors of what he did, which is just so. Which makes me think he's a very reflexive and reflecting type of guy. Which, again, just makes me wonder, like, the capacity that he had to be a different person. A different person or to to express all these things in different ways. Yeah. And how sad that is for the loss of, like, not the loss of the way that he could have contributed, because that's a whole separate thing. But, like, just that you don't... I mean, it's going to sound like serial killer sympathizing, but... (laughs) Like, you don't only lose, like, the victims, but you also lose that, the humanity and the killer. And I think you get a real, like, shining light in, of that in Ed, because there's very few killers that are so um, able to, like, introspect about their own behavior. Yeah. I don't know, like, it's totally, it's probably not even really the same, but, like, I know people who are ridiculously smart and, like, are not proactive about like how intelligent they are. Like they have jobs that are just ridiculously easy. They like them because they're so easy. And like they read like, I have like a friend who reads like Stephen Hawking books for like fun. Mm -hmm. And he's like a ridiculously smart guy. And I think that he could do like so many things with his life. And, but like he just doesn't want to, and that's fine. But it's like, I do think like, like what would have your life been like Mm -hmm. if you were more, ambitious i guess yeah like the the potential that you could have like reached yeah i think is is super interesting on its own and like ed clearly shows remorse at some points or like not maybe not remorse but like he knows what he did was wrong yeah he feels a sense of guilt but to him it's like i had to do this i had to do it it's a compulsive he's like it's that's yeah. it's just that's what i had to do i did it now i'm in prison i'm doing my time leave me alone Which he is, clearly does very well in prison yeah even in the mental hospital like yeah he was being a little scammy but he was at, like he was charismatic enough that that psychiatrist was like be my assistant yeah. which like come on like you have to be pretty like he well, killed his grandparents in cold blood, and you're like, be my assistant. <laughs> yeah, there's, like, such a disconnect and a, a, a gap between, like, the crimes, especially with children. Like, you don't think children are as um, culpable for their actions as adults are, but sometimes they are, and, and they can be. And it's, yeah, it's, it's bewildering. Oh, for sure. And, like, he wasn't even out of prison very long, right? Because, like, he got out in 1969, and then in 1973 is when he killed his mom. Oh, yeah, no, he he was let out of prison, and they were like, don't let this guy out of prison. And and they were like, like, "Uh we're going to do it anyway. And, like, four years later. And he started killing, like, the next year, or within 71, like, he was killing. Yeah. And he had, obviously, like, when he was doing his practice runs of hitchhikers, like, he was... 
you know, working out, like, he comes across as a very meticulous guy, so he must have been doing his research and, like, pra like practice runs how to get whatever, learning how to do it, and it's, it's just, it's crazy. I think that he just was failed at so many levels yeah. every step of the way. Yeah. Because as a child, he, you know, he should have been getting help. And as a teenager, he should have been getting help. And he did a little bit, but then they let him out. And he was again in an unstructured, un... He got put back with his mom. Yeah. Like, I'm assuming that when he was at the, like, criminally insane hospital when he was 15 to 21, that he talked about the abuse that his mother gave him. So, like, what? Like, why wouldn't you put him in, like, a halfway house? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I know it's not the same, but I don't, I don't know that they, like, back then, especially, like, in the early parts of mental health and, like, releasing people back to their family, I think they were really focused on connecting the families but like at 21 he's like he's not under his mom's care anymore no 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 so yeah. don't like obviously he did move out on his own quite quickly but he moved back in with his mom and he only moved back in with his mom because he was experiencing like struggles under capitalism like he couldn't afford to live and that's like a fair reason to move back in with your parent even if your parent is shitty so like i can understand that for sure but like in his case it's like it was probably like the worst thing that happened yeah like a complete catalyst to like a murder spree. Yeah. And it's I think it isn't like, yeah, by no means am I trying to empathize with him. Cause no, like he's obviously sure. like a, like he is a murderer and like, yeah. it's very sad what happened to the victims. And like they, none of them, including his mother deserve to be treated like that by any means. Like those were horrific, awful deaths. Yeah. But it, it like, because of his intelligence level, like I, do find him quite in, like captivating to watch. And yeah. like, I didn't really know who he was a lot until I watched Mindhunter. But as soon as I saw him portrayed on Mindhunter, I was like, I find him so interesting. Like just, he did do these like really long interviews with FBI and talked about other serial killers. And like, I, that was probably just so interesting. Cause like I said, like he has an answer for everything that he did. And it calls into question, like the ability that, like, some killers, I think, are very much like, yeah, I just did it, or I didn't think, or, like, blah, blah, blah. Or, like, my dog demon next door neighbor told me to do it. Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> okay, and obviously, like, people are different, so then not everyone has the same experience um, as a killer, and most likely, I would assume, as, like, a triggered murderer, but Ed is, like, an example that, like, killers but, can introspect and think about their shit but he also wasn't like a simple killer like his his torture or torment to these bodies was like dare i say creative because to this day i've never heard of another person treating bodies like that like he was very specific on what he wanted to do to them i don't think to this day they would release that information also agreed. Yeah. So if there are killers who did stuff like that, they haven't we said. wouldn't know. I mean, the exception being that, like, that Lucas Magnata guy. Yeah. Who, like, yeah, like, he did some pretty fucked up shit to the body, but they just don't tell you those that kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't, it's just, he's just a fuck dude. Yeah. And he's probably not going to be around much longer. So if oh, you want to no. mail a letter, like, you better I get on it. Draft one up. That would be interesting to know. Not like he'd open up to some random... Person, no, but I but... bet you he, like, reads them. Oh, for sure. I'm sure he does read them. And I'm sure if I said something interesting enough, he probably would reply. 
How cool would that be? Not cool, but like my morbid. friend, my <laughs> friend who uh, used to be in prison told me that like some guys would get like random letters and stuff, and they'd have like not naked photos of women, but like slightly just scandalous and then like the guy would have it for a few days and then like for money for cigarettes and stuff or like stuff to do in like the concession or whatever he would sell it and so this like picture of this girl would go around to like the entire prison that's and i'm like oh my god i mean that's the risk you take but i would totally send like my elbow crevice and be like this is my ass or whatever (laughs) i would just have fun with it (laughs) Yeah. And I want, like, 50% of the profits. Like, it's my picture. Yeah. <laughs> this is rude. That would be interesting. I don't think Ed would strike me as that kind of guy. I feel like Ed, <laughs> Ed would definitely keep it to himself. Eddie would never do that to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eddie, Eddie just has respect. <laughs> R-E-S-P-C-T. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I guess that concludes our episode today about Mr. Eddie. <laughs> so thank you everyone for listening. Um, this was obviously a very gruesome episode. So we didn't get that graphic though. It wasn't that bad. No, but yeah, I could have definitely gone into more details. So yeah, you can do that <laughs> on your definitely own. definitely want to see that picture of his mom's head on the, the fucking mantle. <laughs> I was just scrolling on a website and I was like, Oh, Oh, there, there she is. <laughs> There's Clarnell. Oh, Clarnell. Uh, if anyone wants to, uh, you know, keep tabs on the podcast, I do have an Instagram. It's just Murder Sandwich Podcast. And we do post every second Tuesday. So I will see you guys in a couple weeks. Like and subscribe and support Vicky <laughs> Podcast. And thank you, obviously, for Megan for joining me today. And yeah. All right. Cool. Cool. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Bye. Bye.